Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this week we present to you the second of our Resist-themed plays. This is called The Art of Stopping, and it is by Thomas J. Miseraka of Tarzana. California. Yeah, sorry, just couldn't resist running with that one. Uh, The characters are John, played by Tim Perry, Kate, played by Mara Stevens, and Matt, played by Eric Hambury. New York City Street, morning rush hour. We can hear the sounds of people and motor traffic. From one side of the stage, John, a middle-aged man, enters. He's dressed in a business suit, carries a briefcase. John looks prepared to rush to the other side of the stage, but midway there, he stops suddenly takes a seat in the middle of the stage, placing his briefcase to one side. Kate enters. She is a 30-something businesswoman wearing a designer business dress. A large purse is slung over her shoulder. Like John, she looks determined to cross the stage. On her way, she almost stumbles over John. Hey, watch it! She continues to cross the stage, but stops just before she exits. Buddy, you're going to kill somebody. You, You okay? Hey! John slowly turns his head. Yes? You're sitting in the middle of the sidewalk. I know. Uh, Are you having a heart attack or stroke or something? No. Well, you don't look homeless. I'm not. Then what are you sitting there for? I I almost tripped over you. Sorry. You could hurt somebody. I hope not. Well, you will if you stay in the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah. You can't just sit there. Why not? You'll you'll get trampled. Probably. You want to get trampled? Not particularly. Then get up. I'd rather not. Fine. Stay there. Get trampled. See if I care. Kate walks away. Once again, she stops before exiting and returns to John. I think I twisted my ankle. I could sue you, you know. If you must. Better yet, I'll call the cops. Best not to trouble them. Best not to... You're crazy, you know that? Crazy. What would your wife say if she knew you were sitting in the middle of the sidewalk? Never had time to get married. How about your girlfriend? Never had time to date. Your mother, then. I'd be furious if my sons did something so stupid. I never had time for my mother. Is she still alive? And living in Connecticut. Let me call her and find out what medications you're on. Can't call her on a weekday. She'll yell at me for not working. Then let me call your boss or secretary and have them come yell at you. There's no point in that. Aren't they expecting you in the office? At nine o'clock every morning for the past ten years. But no more. I'm done. I'm stopping. You're quitting? I'm stopping. Huh. They'll fire you. Probably. Then you won't be sitting on the street, you'll be living on it. Yeah. What? You had a bad day yesterday and don't want to go back to the office. (laughs) I've had plenty of those. Suck it up! I didn't have a bad day. I had a day like every other day. A week like every other week. A month like every other month. So, what's the problem? The problem is it's already August. Soon it'll be Christmas. Then another year ended. Each year goes by faster and faster. It's time to stop. Yes, stop. And smell the roses. No. 
I want to stop and stay stopped. Then maybe you should stop somewhere a little safer. Central Park, the Stage Deli, your apartment, not the middle of Madison Avenue. This works for me. Poor baby, you work too much. Don't we all? Take the weekend off and go to the Catskills. You'll feel better. I could never take a weekend off. I had to clean and do errands and go to some work-related cocktail party or other. Never time for me. Make time. That's what I'm doing. Matt, a man in his early 20s, enters. He is dressed in leisurely business attire and has a computer case slung over his shoulder. He's listening to an iPod. He begins to cross the stage, but slows down when he approaches John. He reaches into his pocket. <laughs> I get it. You need to find balance in your life. Try yoga. It helps my boss. This is balance. I've been going for over 40 years. Now, I'm stopping. Matt throws change at John. Hey, he's not homeless. Matt removes his earphones. What? That's not a homeless man. It's not? Does he look homeless? No, but he's sitting in the middle of the sidewalk. I know. I tripped over him. Almost broke my neck. Need me to call an ambulance? No, I'm fine. Not for you. For him. He's not sick. He's stopped. Stopped what? Stopped doing anything. He just sat down in the middle of the street and refuses to move. Why'd he do that? I don't know. Guess he felt his life was passing too quickly. So he kicked back and relaxed on the sidewalk. That's awesome! No! It's stupid. A person can't just stop. We all have responsibilities and there's no reason to shirk them. Says who? My mother. That's old school. Life's too short to spend it working for the man. This guy is a free spirit. Bet they honor him with a statue. <laughs> Just what they need in the middle of a busy sidewalk, a statue. No, he has to get up and go to work like the rest of us. Why do you care? Well, if I have to do it, so should he. So, don't do it. Take a seat. <laughs> My husband would kill me. Do you know how much it costs to raise two kids? Especially boys. Have them share clothes. I had to do it with my brother. They'll get used to it. <laughs> Not my spoiled kids. Now they want their own iPods. And you know how much those cost. Yeah, because my mommy didn't buy mine. So in order to buy stuff like that, you need to work for the man. You can't stop and sit in the middle of the street. I'm not complaining, lady. I like my job. I like my job, too. Well, uh, I don't hate it that much. Sounds like you're the one with issues. Fight the power, dude. I am. Matt puts his earphones back in and exits. I do not have issues! Can you believe that guy? Hmm. I mean, he has no idea how hard it is to raise a family. You don't either. No, I don't. Do you think I'm happy with my life? No, I don't. Well, I am. Kate storms out. John remains seated, smiling. Time passes. Come noon, Matt enters. He's now carrying a brown bag. He keeps his earphones on and takes a seat next to John. 
Matt removes a sandwich from his bag and offers half of it to John. Thank you. Kate returns. You're still here. Where else should I be? Work. Home. The nut house. I like it here. Yeah, it's cool. There's so many kinds of shoes. You're both crazy. Did you come back just to berate us? Yes. You have some nerve thinking you never stop. You know nothing about not stopping. If dinner's not on the table when my husband gets home, he bitches up a storm. And my boys always want something washed or ironed. I wish I could just stop. Then stop. Is stopping going to get me anywhere? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get you anywhere? Mm-hmm. Or you? I'm on my lunch hour. Regardless if we stop or go, nobody's getting anywhere. I'm getting a Jaguar next month. John stands, grabs his briefcase. What are you doing? I'm going. I knew you'd come to your senses and go to work. I'm not going to work. Atta boy! Where are you going? I don't know. To a play? The Met? New Jersey? I thought you were stopping. I am. Doesn't mean I can't have some fun while I'm stopped. You go, dude. Slap my paw. John exits. You stop and come back here and stop. He's got some nerve. Matt rises. Where do you think you're going? Back to work. So, that's it? You're both just leaving? What about me? I don't know. Matt puts his headphones back on and exits. Fine. See if I care. Idiots. Kate drops her purse and sinks to the ground. She remains unmoving in the spot where John sat. The sound of the traffic continues. The lights slowly fade until Kate is sitting in total darkness. End of play. And that was The Art of Stopping by playwright Tom Miseraka. The parts were played by Tim Perry, Morris Stevens, and Eric Hambury. Tom was generous enough to give us a few moments of his time, and we decided to start off with the obvious question. The Art of Stopping is sort of a, it's, I'm, I'm going to say it's a dream come true for one of your characters, and a dream that another character wants to have come through. Now, I guess for a lot of us, you know, we've been in those jobs where we just want to just, just, just stop, not do it anymore, give, you know, give the finger to the man or whatever it happens to be, and change our lives for I don't know how hopefully the better for a little bit of adventure for a little bit of uncertainty as opposed to the regular boredom and tedium of, of every day um, so double question where did this play come from and have you ever cut loose your moorings like that and just gone in a way you had no idea you were going well I to answer the second part first I did I did do that maybe a little bit more cautiously than someone who you know just sits in the middle of the street and decides he's not going to do anything um, I I very slowly left the corporate world I was working nine to five trying to find time to write whenever I could at night in coffee shops and I was just feeling like you know time was going by and I wasn't getting as much done as I wanted to and then I slowly started going freelance i started saying okay i don't want to work nine to five anymore but i still want to you know have that security of a company i did work for somebody who was nice enough to work that world with me and then after a few years 
that person felt they could take more advantage of me and wanted me to do more work for them for less money and less, you know, good stuff, you know, less benefits. Sure. And I, I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to, I could just do this all myself. And it was very scary to say, I don't have a safety net anymore, but I just walked away from working for somebody and started working for myself so I could make writing my number one focus. And then I do graphic design to make ends meet. And that became second priority, which was pretty, pretty scary to actually suddenly say, I'm going to do what I want to do for my life. Yeah, it is awfully scary to uh, let go of the, you know, the, the, the corporate structure, which is, I think, still ingrained in our minds as, as like you said, a safety net for oh. the, you know, the, the weekly paycheck. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I went to school for writing at Emerson College. And even though I was doing that, mom was always like, well, that's good that you write and you're very good, but you have to have a day job. You have mm-hmm. to you know, have some kind of income. So, you know, having that beat into me for so many years it was really tough to say you know what i don't have a day job anymore i don't know where my next paycheck is coming from but it's amazing once you actually do that and you know and i'm not saying to i'm not even going to you know i worked harder than ever before when i was out on my own because i had to find my own clients i had to maintain my own clients and on top of that i had to do my own writing as i always do but then do my own uh submitting scripts and then if something gets produced i would do my own publicity so um so yeah i think it was it's a scary thing but i think i ended up taking that energy that i was putting towards helping somebody you know make making some other person a lot more money than i i was getting might not be making as much money as i was then but i'm making more of an impact in my life that's good it sounds like you're a lot more uh, satisfied with your choice daring as, yeah. as it is i you know i like it's you know like who who, when they work nine to five, wants to jump out of bed and get to work? You know, we hit the snooze button like there's no tomorrow. And granted, mm-hmm. I still hit the snooze button, but I wake up seven thirty and I just sit and I make myself a cup of coffee and I'm sitting down at the computer and start writing right away. So you know, I don't need any warm up. I don't need anything. I'm you know, from the minute my day starts, I'm I'm writing, and then when I'm done writing, I do whatever other stuff I need to get done during the day. Okay, so you say when when you say you start writing. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's just, I, I know you've, uh, you've got this incredible body of, um, <laughs> work behind you. I mean, you have short stories. I believe you've done a couple of novels, um, mm-hmm. yes. and this long list of playwriting. It seems from the list that I saw on your website, mm-hmm. ast- I am astounded at the sheer number of pieces that you have out there. So, how much writing do you do for yourself and how much writing do you do for work and what kind of, of writing do you do for work? Well, okay. So for myself, you know, I, I did start when I went to college, I did study, well, I studied, actually I studied professional writing, but that was because I almost felt a little too scared to get a degree in creative writing. Cause at least professional writing sounded like something you might be able to get a job with afterwards. Yeah. Like, Cause I have out. one in creative writing and honestly the job offers have <laughs> definitely not been pouring in. <laughs> But professional writing, it sounds like, hey, I might be able to write for magazines or newspapers. Um, I, you know, I actually went into school for journalism. And again, I'll name Emerson College is the place I went to. And when they sat down and showed me the syllabus or all the classes I had to take for journalism, I was like, no, that's not what I want. I want to be creative. Um, I want, you know, I want to tell stories. And so professional writing, because even even at Emerson, professional writing encompassed screenwriting, which again, hey, that's great. Write movies and have someone pay me for them would be fantastic. Um, so 
I then moved out to Hollywood thinking I was going to write for movies or TV. And really in the back of my mind, I didn't want to write for movies and TV. Um, if somebody said, hey, we want to take something of yours and turn it into a movie or TV show, pay me lots of money and you could, you could enjoy it. But I wanted to write stories. Uh, I do love the short story format. I do like the novel format and the case that you can write um, whatever you want. The world is your oyster. There's really no limitations. Right. But when I, about maybe 10 years ago, you know, I'd always had a play here and there. I really started dabbling more in theater and I just loved it a lot more. I love the immediate, you know, seeing it on stage, getting the reactions from people. Um, you know, I just really enjoyed writing for it and I really felt that my style worked, you know, worked very well in theater. So, you know, right now, I, you know, I'm constantly writing 10 minute plays as, as, as you see, you know, something like the art of stopping. How many um, so of those I, do you have? I actually can't even count them. Well, I'm sure there's well over a hundred. I know over a hundred of them have been produced, you know, like a couple have been produced multiple times. Um, so I probably have, you know, somewhere around a hundred. I lost, I lost count a long time ago. And how long uh, has it taken you to get that many? Oh, well, let's see. So I really started delving in the, into the, into the short story thing. Maybe, maybe about, man, I guess I actually almost on my 10th year anniversary of really starting to work on short plays. So maybe about 10 years took me time to get a, get a very large body of work. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot um, of writing. And it, thank you. And it's, it, you know, a lot of stuff that people see, and there's a lot of stuff that I thought was the best thing I've ever written and nobody wanted to produce it. Yeah. Well, and, club. <laughs> you know, um, as well as stuff that I'm like, I don't think this is working, but you know, you know like it's, t you know, like as writers like yourself, you probably have that thing that you're working on right now and you love it. Mm -hmm. And then you have those things that you worked on a while ago. They didn't go anywhere, but you know, there's something, there's, you know, there's a nugget of something good in there that you want to go back and, and, and see it. So on a daily basis, again, I, I'm usually working on a full length and a, and a couple of short plays at the same time. So I just kind of go where whatever my motivation is that morning, whatever I feel like when I sit down at the computer, I'm actually going to get something done. And, and I'm also a great believer in bad first drafts. If I'm working on something that's brand new, I'm just going to, you know, I would just rather write and have it be embarrassingly horrible. Then I can go back and, and make it a lot better. And I also find when you sit down and you just write, that you do end up getting something really, there's all, you know, I don't think even when you say you're writing a bad first draft that mm. everything is bad. I think you always find some really good stuff in there. Oh, I, I completely 100% agree. I mean, it's, that's what first drafts are for. It's basically mm -hmm. in my mind, it gets what's ever that nugget of whatever it is out there onto the page. It's usually the ugliest child in the litter. And, yes. uh, you know, you work with it. You 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 change it. You read it over. You let it sit for a while. Um, do you do any sort of uh, outside uh, farm it out to people and have table reads and? Oh, all the all the time. Yes. Okay. Um, I one of the one of my I have like a theater company that I'm a member of. It's called First Stage LA, and. It's, um, I've been, I've been there that they were kind of like when I decided, oh, I'm going to start looking into writing for theater. I joined them and I've been with them ever since. Uh, they're one of the few local theater companies where, where if you're paying a dues member, you actually get to bring up to 20 pages in every week to hear it read by actors. That's great. So, it, so, so, you know, fantastic from working on a 10 minute play, I can hear it all, but even better from working on a full length play 
because I can bring it in, you know, I can bring in what I've been working on. Um, actually, they, they did go back uh, to about two times a month now. Um, but I can bring in what I'm working on, bring in the section that's I need the feedback on the most, hear it out loud, and go and go from there. Um, but I, but then also, uh, as a member, every month they also have a stage reading where I can then take a finished piece and put it on stage. I did one earlier this this year of a new piece, and I, I actually took a chance of directing it myself. I'm not a fan of directing my own work because I like to bring somebody else's vision into it, and I like to sit mm-hmm. back and see how it sounds. Sure. But but I think it was a I had an opportunity. I had a very uh, quick opportunity. I had I had to have it up and going, and I, it was just a lot easier for me to do it myself. But you know, but that was great to put it up on stage to you know to see what it looked like. And this was one of those ugly first drafts, and it's amazing how people were like, "Wow, that was great!" And I'm like, "It was." You know? <laughs> I've, I've okay. had one or two of those myself. You know, it's, I've, yeah. I've, I've watched the play on stage, and I'm thinking, "I got a lot of rewriting to do." <laughs> and people are coming up afterwards, going, "Don't change a word." And I'm like, yeah. Are you insane? Oh my gosh! But what were you What were you watching? So, <sighs> but so I mean, so you don't yeah. like to direct your own work, right? Do you direct other people's work? Do you act? Uh, <laughs> I mean, what else are you besides a writer? You know, I like. I always like to say I'm just a writer. You know, my my work is. You know, when the the piece is done, I send it off to the universe or to people I know who are going to direct it or or do whatever. Um, and I like to I like to keep it at that. Now. Have I done other elements of theater in the past? Yes. And do I enjoy them? I do. I, you know, I, I very much, I enjoyed producing that, that piece I did earlier this year called Figments, but also because I, I have a wonderful selection of actors out here that um, I got to pick. It was a four-actor piece. I picked four actors that I knew. I, I knew it would be like, you know, hot butter on bread directing these these actors. I knew they would bring so much to the table that that it wouldn't be a challenge for me. So, it you know, it was the easy way out to get good actors. Yeah. Well, um, casting so, well so, is the best revenge. Exactly. So I enjoy, so I enjoyed I enjoyed that. And I enjoy when I do uh, like one of my you know, I've directed some stage readings as well as productions of my 10-minute plays in the past and I I enjoy doing it. Uh, and I've done very few other people's works, mostly stage readings of other people's works. Um, and, you know, as I said, it, I, I, I like doing it. And it, it, there have been a few times where people have asked me to act and I have the same reaction when people say they like something that's of mine that's a first draft. I'm like, you want me to act? You, I'm like, I'm not really an actor, but, um, but when I'm on stage, I guess I feel 100 feet tall because I actually do, en- I do enjoy being on stage, but I don't often seek it out. And as I said, like that weekly workshop that I go to, they might need me to read and I'll go up and read and I don't have a problem with that. But the, the guy who runs it, Dan Roth, uh, in the past few months, every time I read, he's like, you've come a long way as a reader, haven't you? So it's, you know, I, I, I think it, you know, I don't see myself acting in any full length plays anytime soon, but I'll always do a little role here and there in, in a short play. So you never know what the future is going to hold. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and being up on stage is actually kind of fun because, Getting the perspective from that point of view, I think, completely informs one's own writing or should inform one's own writing. Hopefully informs one. There's an adverb in there that I'm going to roll with. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. And and why I also I think why, you know, again, I I guess maybe I walk that seesaw of should I direct my own piece or shouldn't I, especially in a full length piece, because I do notice 
if I'm if I'm doing a stage reading with with blocking, and I know I know a lot of people you know shy away from block stage readings, but I think especially as a writer, those are very important because there's been times I've been like, hey, that character's been on stage for five minutes and not doing anything. Do they need to be there? Can I get rid of them? And you know, and I think, and then I all it also allows me to think of, hey, what stage play can I come up with to help an actor in a scene or do something do something fun. Um, or serious, or, you know, or, or something that will give more impact to the story that I'm trying to tell. So I think sometimes blocking out your own play is, you know, is very helpful to the writing process because you might even find something in there that you didn't know was there. That's that's true. I've I've directed a couple of my own pieces, and yeah, it's I'm I love directing. I you know mm-hmm. I can sit there and direct somebody else's piece until you know the cows come home. Um, but I don't enjoy doing my own because I'd rather see, and this is, I'm speaking strictly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather see somebody else's point of view. I'd rather give it over to somebody who I know is good behind the director's chair, who is good at play analysis and watch it unfold because that way I can just sit in the back and see what they do. They'll come up with, you know, epiphanies. They'll come up with problems. For me, it's another point in the, you know, in the evolution of the play. And, for me to actually still be inside the play, I feel like I don't have a really good point of view because I know what's in my head. Mm-hmm. So what's in my head doesn't always work for me. And I, I agree with you 100% on that because I find as writers, we go into a story with blinders on. And not, not in a bad way. We, we, we've had something in our head. We've mm-hmm. poured it out on paper or you know on computer for months or years or however long and we have it and it's great and and i think it means we're good writers that we have something there but then it's wonderful when a director comes in and says oh i see this you know played this way or that way and it's just like i would have usually i would not have thought of that but but working with good directors the vision that they see always works. Well, Tom Mazaraka, thank you so very, very much for being with us today. And thank you for your wonderful play, The Art of Stopping. You're very welcome. Thank you. And we hope to hear more from you in the future. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes you enjoy what we do please recommend us to your friends don't forget to like us on facebook follow us on twitter at on offstage and if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't yet covered oddly enough or know someone in the theater world who'd make good chat please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org our intro and outro music is surf far surf good by the composer steve channon you can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. On Stage, Off Stage wishes to let its listeners know that we believe in and advocate for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace, without fear. We believe in zero tolerance for acts of hate and bigotry. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender orientation. On Stage, Off Stage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. Mm-hmm.